Hey, this is Evan Black, pastor of Faith for Life Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. If you don't yet know Jesus, I'm so glad that you're listening, and I pray that this message empowers you to give your life to Christ. If you're just starting out on your journey with Jesus, I hope this empowers you to connect with Him. If you're strong in your connection to Christ, I believe this message will empower you to follow Him. So enjoy today's message. And, um, and I've set it up every week, and I think now at this point I'm setting it up this way just because I like the song so much. So um, this title comes from, from a song that I used to listen to when I was younger before I gave my life to Christ. And it, it was it, just, just let's, do we have the clip? Do we still have that audio clip? I see him scrambling back there. Maybe we don't have that audio clip this morning. But it was a song. We got it. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Oh, that is the jail. Again, I got to tell you, I got to tell you every week, I got to tell you, that's the only part of the song that we can play in church and it'd be appropriate. I may or may not have had a member send me the other day a video of him and his wife jamming this in their car. <laughs> I mean, like they are jamming in their car and I'm sitting there thinking, no, if that's what I'm teaching you, if that's how I'm leading you, I'm probably not doing a good job. Um, but that was a song I used to listen to, and man, I loved it. And the song was all about really like dressing nice and being fresh and being clean. And over the last couple of weeks, what we've talked about is internally God has made us clean. He is the one who has cleansed us, that we can't make ourselves fresh and clean, that he's the one who's cleansed us. And we are fresh and we are clean, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And today, we're going we're gonna to look in Mark chapter 14. Before I, I, I begin with the scriptures here, uh, this past week, we were on vacation as a family, and um, like any good family, especially one whose, whose father grew up in Georgia, like no matter where you go, you got to go to Chick-fil-A. If they got a Chick-fil-A, like you, you got to hit up Chick-fil-A. So we're on vacation. We found the closest Chick-fil-A. And so we go to breakfast at Chick-fil-A. Now, my oldest son, he is a man after my own heart. He loves Chick-fil-A chicken biscuits, which is the best breakfast in the entire world. I don't care if you, I would pay $100 for a Chick-fil-A chicken biscuit before I'd pay $100 for some fancy breakfast somewhere else, okay? So his, this is a kid after my own heart, and so we go to Chick-fil-A, and, and my wife always orders for her and the kids, and then I order for me, and so she orders all this stuff, and I don't even know what she's ordering, and, and, and then it goes time to pass out the breakfast, and she gives my oldest son a bacon biscuit. And he is crushed. I can see it all over his face. Like, I didn't get a chicken biscuit. Like, that's what I love. That's the breakfast of champions. Like, chicken biscuit. And and, and I kind of lean up like, hey, buddy, I got an extra chicken biscuit. Because that's just the way I roll. (laughs) I always got an extra. I mean, chicken biscuits are, okay. And and I'm like, if you don't like it, you know, let me know. I'll, I'll give you my extra. And so he eats it, and he just, he's eating it slow. And he's got, I mean, he's just, he's crushed. He's crushed, but he doesn't say anything. My wife takes one of the kids to the restroom, and we're done. And I, and I go over to where he's sitting, and I'm like, Isaiah, why, why did you eat this bacon? I said, I said, did you like the bacon biscuit? He said, uh, it was okay. And I was like, you didn't want a chicken biscuit? He was like, yeah. And I'm like, well, why didn't you say you didn't like it and take the extra chicken biscuit that I gave you? And he goes, well, I didn't want to disappoint mom. Mom bought me the bacon biscuit, so I'm, I'm going to eat the bacon biscuit. Now, now remember that because that's going to help us actually learn how to live fresh and clean. And in Mark chapter 14, I want to start in verse 10. And today, we're going to look at two people in Mark chapter 14, two stories that you've probably heard or heard of. And these are going to give us some ways that we don't live 
like we should, so fresh and so clean, but also we're going to find something hidden in this text that will give us what I believe is the key to living fresh and clean. Because we already know that we are fresh and clean because that's how Jesus made us once we've given our lives to him. Verse 10 of Mark chapter 14, it says, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, one of Jesus' twelve disciples, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And that, that would be betray Jesus to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him, betray Jesus. Now, let me give you a little bit about this. Judas was one of Jesus' 12. So that meant that Judas followed Jesus everywhere. He was in his, like, inner circle. Jesus had different levels of access that he gave people, different levels of community. Judas was in the 12. So he would be the one that would get the explanation of things. He would be the one that when Jesus would go off from the crowds, Judas would be able to go with him. He would follow Jesus. Wherever Jesus went, that was where he would go. Whenever Jesus slept, he would slip. Whenever Jesus would eat, he would eat. Like he, they were very, very close. Judas had seen Jesus in all kind of situations, good and very dangerous. And every single time in the dangerous situations, Jesus got out of them. Jesus walked through a crowd that tried to kill him, that was trying to throw him off a cliff. Jesus um, calmed the storm. All these dangerous situations that we read about, Judas was there, and he would have seen Jesus um, be able to overcome all of these dangerous situations. Now, here we read about Judas intentionally betraying Jesus. This is an intentional thing. This is not like he happened on this or he couldn't help it. Like he intentionally, he is seeking out a way to betray Jesus. Why would somebody who followed Jesus and was so close to him, and we're going to see in a minute, actually love Jesus, why would he seek out an opportunity to betray Jesus? Now, now here at this church, we want to teach from the Bible. We want to show it to you in the Scripture. Anything we can't show you in the Scripture is just my opinion or somebody else's opinion, and you can take it or leave it. What I'm about to give you now is my theory. This is not, I, I can show you parts of this in the Scripture, but this is, this Bible doesn't lay this out as clearly as I'm about to say it. But here's what I believe happened with Judas. I believe Judas had seen Jesus go through all these dangerous situations and get himself out of them. We know that Judas um, was embezzling money. He was Jesus' treasurer. So if you think Jesus was poor, I don't know why a poor person would have a treasurer. But he was Jesus' treasurer. He was embezzling money. And he sees an opportunity to get some money to either replenish what he had embezzled or at least replenish part of what he had embezzled. And to me, uh, I could see Judas saying, this is the perfect plan. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to sell Jesus out. I'm going to put Jesus in this dangerous situation. They're going to pay me for it. I'm going to repay the treasury. Jesus is going to get himself out of this situation. And being Jesus, he's going to forgive me. And then everything will be all right. And at the end of this, the money will be back and I'll be good. It makes sense. And Judas here is like, okay, I'm going to intentionally betray Jesus. And we're like, how could he do this? But you know what? We do this as well. We, we, we walk through these things and we say like, well, I know Jesus will forgive me. And so it really won't be that bad. It, it'll work all out and then I'll ask Jesus to forgive me and then, and, then, and then it'll be all good. I know when I first started growing in my walk with Christ, there were times, there were things that I would be like, I know I shouldn't do that, but I am going to do that anyway and I know right now I'm going to ask Jesus to forgive me after I do it. 
Oh, don't act like y'all never done that. Don't act like some of y'all still don't do that now. This makes perfect sense to me. And Judas has this plan. He seeks this opportunity. We, if you, we don't have time, but if you read verses 12 through 16, um, it's Passover and the disciples get instructions from Jesus on, on where to have Passover and how they're going to celebrate Passover. In verse 17, it says, when it was evening, he came with the 12, he being Jesus again. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. Now, now, let me stop really quickly here. Um, Jesus warns Judas about the sin that he is intentionally seeking after to commit. He warns him. And make no mistake about it, Jesus warns you before you sin. Especially when you are seeking an opportunity to betray Jesus, when you are intentionally planning on sinning, Jesus will warn you. He will warn you in this word. He's already written warnings to you. But if you'll listen to him, he will actually warn you personally as well. If you are intentionally planning on betraying Jesus, you have to overcome some things to actually do that. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're intentionally planning on betraying him, you have to overcome what you know the word to say, but you also have to overcome when Jesus starts to, the way I say it is, he starts to mess with you internally. He, he starts to rise some things up in you and it just, it becomes harder and harder and you have to overcome that because he has given you a warning. And he consistently warns you. He, he warns him here. And then they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? Now, now this is interesting. This is a little bit of a side topic. But this is one of the few times that the disciples got it right. Like Jesus like, one of you is going to betray me. And they're like, is it me? Now, I would have imagined the disciples would have more likely said, oh, it's got to be you. It's got to be, like, they were always jacking stuff up. They were always messing up. They were always saying the wrong thing, thinking the wrong way, doing the wrong thing. I just would read this, like, surely they're about to say, oh, it's you. Can't be me. Seriously, think about it. When was the last time something was your fault? Like, genuinely, it was 100% your fault. It wasn't because somebody did that or they did this or it didn't happen. Like, I haven't met very many people that stuff is their fault. It might be a little bit your fault, but it was because... The disciples actually get this right here. Like, I'm shocked by this. this. Like, I need to do a whole series on this. Like, they got it right for once. Jesus is like, one of you is going to betray me, and each one of them looks at themselves. He says, is it me? Is it me? We would do good to take the warnings of Jesus, to take the scriptures, to take his word and apply it to ourselves and not everybody else. See, it's easy to sit, especially in a service when you're with people that maybe you know, maybe you know really well, and you're like, oh, man, I hope they're listening to this. They need to get this. This is surely for them. And, and actually just be completely blind to the scales that are over your eyes, completely blind to the big log that's in your eyes because you're seeing the speck in somebody else's life. That, that is not part of this message, but that must be for somebody here. Is it I? And he said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For as the Son of Man goes, as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Now, now I, I want to point something out here. The disciples, when they heard this warning, it says they began to be sorrowful. You know what it doesn't say? 
they began to be fearful. Now think about this. They follow Jesus. They've seen Jesus do miraculous things. They've seen nature, the wind and the waves obey Jesus. They've seen trees wither up and die in like 24 hours when they shouldn't. Like they've seen some amazing, miraculous, powerful things. And Jesus is like, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is intentionally going to betray me. And it would be better if you were not even born. And it says they were sorrowful, not fearful. That's important. That's important. If, if Jesus has made us fresh and clean and we are to live fresh and clean, we are to live knowing that we are forgiven, we are restored, we are made right because of him. It's important here that we learn from these people that walked with him and talked with him on a daily basis that when they heard this, they were sorrowful and not fearful. Now, now let me put this in context. We should fear the Lord. When, when we, when Jesus even said we should fear the Lord. In, in Luke chapter 12, um, he says, listen, don't even fear the people who can kill your natural body. You should fear the one who has the ability to put you in heaven or hell. Like that's who you fear. In 1 Peter, it tells us, you know, to, to fear God. When it's those instances of fear, that word fear translated actually means more of reverence than what we would think of as fear or being afraid. There is a very powerful verse in Scripture um, that talks about the kind of fear that we often think of when we say fear God, which would be like being afraid or that terror fear. And that's in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. It says this, there is no fear in love. There is no fear as far as terror, as far as being afraid. There is no fear in love. We know that God is love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Here, these disciples were sorrowful. They were emotional. They were heartbroken. Not because they were afraid, but because they loved. Because they loved. See, when me and Pastor Priscilla started dating, there, there was maybe a time, especially the first time we dated. If you don't know our story, you have to come back another time. I don't have time. But the first time we dated, like, I, I, I might have made a mistake. Like, I'm, you know, I can't really remember one. Like, again, like, when was the last thing anything was your fault, right? I mean, sure, it wasn't like 100% my fault. But I might have made a mistake. And if you've ever been in love with someone and you make a big enough mistake where you feel like you're no longer worthy of that relationship and that person forgives you, oh, man, it's life-changing, right? Put your, remember that time. And they forgive you, and now all of a sudden you get a second chance or maybe a third chance. Some of you women are really faithful. Maybe it's a fourth chance or a fifth chance. If you're giving fourth and fifth chances to somebody you're not married to, come see us. We, we got some counsel for you. <laughs> I'm not saying you shouldn't. Just let's, let's have a conversation. Let's pray about this. Because sometimes y'all give fourth and fifth chances to the guys who don't need fourth and fifth. They don't need a second chance. Actually, they shouldn't have a first chance. But that's a different message for a different day. But, 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 but think about that, man, when you're in love with somebody and you mess up and they forgive you and they give that second chance, man, what do you want to do? 
you're so thankful, you want to do everything you can to be better than you were before. You, you, you make all kind of promises. You're willing to change your life. I counseled a couple one time, and this, this guy, he made a big mistake, like a big one. And it wasn't just one time. He, ma- he made a, a big mistake a few times. And, 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 and his wife was willing to forgive him. And this guy, I mean, he, he changed everything about his life. He quit his job. He, he, he did everything that she wanted him to do. Like, he became a different man. And as far as I know, like, he's still that different man. Not because he was afraid, but because he loved so much and he got another chance. There is a time for us to fear the power of God and, and the consequences of sin. But that's not where we should live our lives. Our lives are lived in love and by love and through love and for love. See, it's because we love Jesus that we will live right that we will live how we are made, which is clean and fresh. See, because if you try to live that life out of fear, it's only going to last so long before it wears on you and becomes heavier and heavier and becomes religion. And you get to the point where you either give up or you discount the consequences of sin to the place where you just run right over it and you just do whatever you want to do. Like if this walking with Jesus is all about fearing God and living every moment, being afraid that he might strike you down and and, and realizing that you are going to miss it because you are you and you are human, then there is a point where you give up in some form or fashion. But if you're living out of love, if you're living because you love him and you know that he loves you, then no matter how many times you mess up, you are so thankful for his forgiveness and his restoration and him making you clean. You begin to realize, I may never get it 100% right. And, and he keeps forgiving me. And because of that, I am so thankful that I want to do better than I did last time. There's a pastor um, named Craig Rochelle. He's, he's amazing pastor. He... he has so many great quotes. One of his quotes, he says, if you lead from a place of fear, you, 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 may, uh, you may get compliance, but you'll never get commitment. God knows that. If you lead from a place of fear, people will follow, but it'll be short term. They'll never really be committed and give everything that they have and go above and beyond. God knows this. He created us. He doesn't lead that way. That's not who he is. He leads from a place of love and and empowerment. So that this is a long game, not not the short game. These disciples here, they are hurt. They are sorrowful. This pain of letting down Jesus because they loved him has brought them to this place where they are full of sorrow. And we need to recognize this and we need to, to, to live from this place of love and passion that they are living from and that we are seeing this example from. When, when we, oh man, I'm so far behind. We're, we're only on the first example. We're only on Judas. <laughs> if, if you skip down to verse 
uh, 26, Jesus has here uh, the Last Supper and what we do now is communion. He's, he's done this with his disciples. In verse 26, I love this. It says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. They all are sorrowful. They take the bread and the wine, and Jesus tells them that, you know, what this is representative of. They recognize, or at least they should recognize, that this is a very dark time, that things are about to change, that this is not good. If they have any kind of um, perception and, and revelation, they understand, which it's clear that they don't really, but they should have understood that Jesus is about to die. Like, this is about to be horrible. And it says, in the midst of all that, they sung a hymn before they went to the Mount of Olives. Like, they stopped and worshiped in the middle of extremely bad news, right before facing the most difficult earthly hour that they would ever face. They stopped and they worshiped God. And I think even in those times where we may be sorrowful, maybe we, we, we plan to betray Jesus or, or we've been warned and we've recognized that warning, we need to stop and worship Jesus before we move on. As a matter of fact, even when things are going good and things are going great and everything is wonderful and you're not planning on betraying Jesus, you still need to stop and worship him. You shouldn't just worship him when you come into this place. You should worship him before you go to any place. And so, so they worshiped him before they went to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now today, Jesus tells us that we will all fall short of the glory of God. He tells these disciples, you will all fall away and be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Now, here's the second example. Peter says to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. So here's the second example. The second example is of Peter. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then he got them so hyped that they all said the same thing. So here clearly Peter is not intentionally planning on betraying Jesus. He is saying, I am not going to betray you. I believe in my holiness and my righteousness and my strength and my willpower that even though you're saying that we will all fall away, I will not fall away. I will die before I deny. Man, there's so many Christians that say the same thing. Like we will shout it from the rooftops. And we read chapters like chapter 14 here and we're like, if I was Judas, I would never do that. If I was Peter, because y'all know this, y'all know, spoiler alert, this doesn't go the way Peter thinks it's going to go. If I was Peter, I would never do that. If I was Adam, I would have never eaten from that tree. And we have this arrogance that even though Jesus has said this, I'm stronger than what he said. Yeah, yeah, all the good stuff that he says, that's for me. The falling short, nah, not me. I'm holy, I'm righteous, I'm so fresh and so clean, and no spots can get on me. Maybe it's not the arrogance that gets you to that place, but, but you're somebody that, that you want to follow Jesus, and you, and you believe that, that you will live today and tomorrow and every other day after this, never making another mistake and never sinning, and, and that's your heart's desire. We're going to look at Peter here and, and see if we can learn anything about how Peter handled all this and what happened with Peter. Um, 
as well. So, so for time's sake, we got to skip down to verse 43. Now, um, Jesus, I love this. He goes into the garden and he tells them to pray with them and they couldn't, they kept falling asleep and they couldn't even pray an hour and Jesus gets on them and all of that. Finally, he says, all right, forget it. Let's go. This is about to happen. In verse 43, and immediately while he was speaking, now let's go back to Judas. Judas came, one of the 12, and with the crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, this one, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And then we know that the guards took Jesus and captured him. And, and Peter begins to follow out a distance, and Judas, we don't hear, but Judas is clearly distraught by this. So Judas is warned multiple times. He has to overcome this internal struggle that was surely going on if you're a follower of Jesus and you plan to betray him. And he goes through with it. And he commits this betrayal. And he does it with a kiss. I mean, a kiss of all things. This man has done everything for you. And you betrayed him with a kiss. But notice this. Jesus, he knew this was going to happen. He warned Judas about this. And he still allowed it. He allowed it. He didn't allow it without warning. He didn't allow it without a way of escape. But he put the ball in Judas's court. And he allowed Judas to decide. And he does the same thing with us. He will warn you. There will be this internal struggle before you actually commit the sin and the betrayal. You will have to overcome that, but you will have the choice to overcome that. You will have the ability to say no to Jesus and say yes to that betrayal. He will allow you to do that. Now, I wish he didn't. I wish he didn't for you. I wish he didn't for me, but he does. He allows us to do that. Will he forgive you after you've done that? Absolutely. But that becomes dangerous. Because the more you override that internal warning, the more you override what you know the scriptures tell you to do and not to do, how to live and not to live, the more that you dis discount that or the more that you give up on trying to live fresh and clean, the less that that internal struggle will affect you next time. See, when you first give your life to Christ and you, and you sin, like you know you sin, you may not even really know what all the sins are, but you know this is one of them, it breaks your heart. I mean, it breaks your heart. And some of us have been saved so long now that we sin, just Lord, forgive me. It doesn't break our heart like it used to break our heart. Because we've gotten away from living by love and in love and for love and through love. And it, it's become something else, at least at some level. And if you continually just override these warnings that Jesus gives, he'll allow you to betray him. And the next time he'll allow you. And the next time he'll allow you. And each time it'll get easier and easier. There'll be less of that internal conflict. And if you're not, if you're not careful... There'll be a day where you look up and you haven't really repented of, of your lifestyle. 
And you may sit in a service like this and fall asleep. I mean, you're not getting anything out of it. And you're going to blame it on me because nothing's ever your fault. I could take it. I've been taking it for seven years. But if a donkey, and if the rocks are going to praise God, like really, I mean, I'm not the best preacher. But bring a donkey in here and let's see. <laughs> like like if, if you can't get something from someone just reading the word of God, you need to reevaluate where your heart is. You may not get all the revelation, all the understanding, but there is a love there. There was a time when everything my wife said, I listened. <laughs> Notice that that was past tense. I was somewhere this week and I was like, Oh, the sisterhood meetup. They, people were asking me questions. I was like, you know, my wife told me, I, I think we're going to this. But I don't even know. I don't know. She told me. She did. She told me. We've been married a long time now. She's not in here, so I can give that example. What about, what about, what about Peter? Because Peter didn't intentionally set out to betray Jesus. In verse 66, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, um, one of the servant girls of the high priest, this is after Jesus has been captured, and many of you all know this story, and seeing Peter warm, warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Now listen, Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. Don't you think after you denied him and you heard the rooster crow once, you'd be like, oh yeah, hey. <laughs> like we just read this stuff and we don't ever put ourselves in this situation. Like think about this for a second. Like dude, come on. What? A, like y'all just got it right and now you're jacking this all up again. How do you not? But Jesus, you know, he'll tell you. Guard what goes in your eyes, what goes in your ears. Because it gets down in your heart. It produces the issues of your life. It produces what comes out of your mouth, which is the power of life and death. And we go right and turn the radio back on and turn the TV back on. And we go right back to what he told us. He tells your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't defile it. And we don't throw away our lighters. And we keep the bottles. And we... But Peter, how could you do this? And yet, we do it in a different way. Even now. I don't know how he didn't recognize this, but the servant girl saw him again. He denied it again. And in verse 71, he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. Now, I, I love this because <clears throat> um, we don't have time to get in this, but, but the whole, like, Christians cussing, like, nobody thinks Christians should cuss. And I'm not discounting that. It's an interesting concept, though, because what was a cuss word 30 years ago is different now. Um, and what will be, like, I, I don't know. But, but, but we get that. We get that. We understand that. Like, nobody in here would be like, yeah, Christians should cuss. Pastor, why aren't you cussing? 
No, no, nobody says that. I, I get that. I, I understand that. But here, Peter believes that if he cusses, they're going to believe that he's not a Jesus follower. <laughs> Think about that. He's in this dire situation where he's denying Jesus because he's afraid of what's going to happen to him. And he's like, I'll prove it to you. And he cusses. I don't know, take what you want from that. I didn't write it. I wasn't there. I'm just giving it to you. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him. I don't know how he didn't remember before. Like, this is such a crucial moment. How do you forget this? Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Now, now listen to this. Most of the time, that's where we stop this. But that's not the end of verse 72. Peter broke down and wept. Now, now, not too long ago, he was pulling out his sword, and he was cutting this guy's ear off. I mean, this is a guy that was ready to fight. This is a man's man. This is a tough guy. And because he betrayed his Jesus, it hurt him so bad that he broke down and wept. He was so passionate about living fresh and clean that when he missed it, it hurt this big, strong, tough guy breaks down and weeps. And have you ever seen a grown man break down and weep? Now, I know y'all have seen me cry. Like, I cry. I'm a crier now. I don't know how that happened. I'm not over the fact that I'm a crier. I'm still struggling with the fact that I'm a crier. And if anybody from my past ever joined, comes and, and visits the church, I'm, I, I I'm going to do everything I can not to show them I'm a crier because I didn't used to be a crier. I might have been little, but I would always say it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And you're going to see the size of the fight in my dog if you test me. I'm not a crier. But somewhere along the last seven years, I've become a crier. It's just what it is. I'm just, I'm giving up on it. It's just, I'm letting it go and I'm letting it out. But have you ever seen a grown man break down and weep? That's a whole different scenario. That comes from a place deep inside of them. That comes from a place of pain that you don't see on the outside. Peter here is living from that deep love of Jesus. And when he, not intentionally, but when he betrays him, it hurts. When you give your life to Christ and you begin to follow him, when you sin, it hurts. It's painful. Now, Judas, we read in Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 through 5, that Judas is, is upset about what he did. And, and he's, he's in this same place like the other disciples. Like he lived from this place of love and when he missed it in this big way. Because I don't believe he ever thought that it would go this far. That he goes back to the chief priest, he gives them their 30 pieces of silver. He's like, you take it, I've sinned, I shouldn't have done this. And they're like, this doesn't have anything to do with us, we're not taking this. And Judas leaves that place and goes out and hangs himself. Now, had Judas been able to forgive himself and move forward... We have no reason to believe that Jesus would not have come back and forgiven and restored him. But he gave up on himself before Jesus had an opportunity to forgive him and to restore him. 
See, see what will happen is if you intentionally plan to betray Jesus, at some point you'll get to that place where you give up on yourself. And you won't have the opportunity to receive the forgiveness of Jesus, not because it's not there, but because you give up on yourself. You kill yourself, maybe not physically or literally, but metaphorically, spiritually, you give up on yourself and you won't receive the love and the forgiveness from Jesus. And when you get to that place, make no mistake about it, you, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Maybe you used to sin down here at this level, it will take you all the way to the bottom. You will find people who used to say that they love God and they love Jesus and man, they were in church all the time and, and, and now you look at them and you're like, how, like you, you what? I, I wouldn't think the worst of the worst people did that and here you are not only doing it but you're telling everybody about it on social media like you were proud of it. Judas was not willing or able to forgive himself and keep moving forward, and he was never able to have the opportunity to receive Jesus' forgiveness and his love. For time's sake, i got to move it on. Many of you all know the story of Peter in John chapter 21, verses 2 and 3. Um, this, I love this. Um, Peter, he, he doesn't do great with this. Like after Jesus dies, he follows Jesus from afar as he's being crucified. Then after he dies, he doesn't go to doing what Jesus taught him to do. He actually goes back to what he knew, which was fishing, which is like, come on, man. All right, I guess you didn't kill yourself, so that's good. But like you didn't do any, like all these last three years, you just went back to what you know. Like you didn't even do any of this. But he's back there and he's talked. Some of the other disciples were coming fishing with him and they're out there and they can't catch anything and Jesus kind of special in this and I'm not really sure how because he was a carpenter but he's God so that's how I'm sure and so Jesus tells them to cast their net on this side and they catch this big fish this big crop of fish and then and then Jesus um, th- he's on the shore so they come to the shore they get off the boat this is so good you got to go read John chapter 21 because then they have a breakfast fish fry I don't know if you've ever read this, but it's in there. Like, then all of a sudden, Jesus is like, I'm hungry. They take the fish. They, they do have this fish fry. Jesus is hanging out with them. It's like this cool, like, uh, like talk about Fourth of July cookouts. Like, this is the ultimate, like, it's with Jesus, right? And so then after that, Jesus, after they eat and they, they talk, Jesus is like, hey, Peter, 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 let me talk to you. Do you love me? Peter's like, Yes. And feed my sheep. And he goes through this and he, and he restores Peter. He forgives Peter. He asks him this three times and allows Peter to, to say yes three times because he denied him three times. And so you have Peter who was forgiven and restored. And then Peter goes on to preach the first message on the day of Pentecost where over 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus and get saved. And, and Christianity begins and starts from there in the New Testament as we know it today. He's the first one to bring the gospel to the Gentiles and allow people like you and me to be able to be sitting here today. Why? Because he didn't give up on himself, because he, didn't forgive, he, because he did forgive himself. He didn't do it perfectly, and he wasn't perfect after that. But he knew he was restored and forgiven because Jesus came back and restored him and forgave him. See... See, whether you are making an intentional effort to betray Jesus or it's one of those that you're not choosing to, but it's happening, then what you have to do first and foremost is not give up on yourself. You have to get to the place where you forgive yourself. Because if you can't forgive yourself, then you're not going to be able to receive the, the love and the forgiveness that Jesus brings to you. But if you get to the place where maybe you don't fully, but, but you're willing to keep going and you're willing to keep seeking Jesus, then you'll get to that place where he will come and he will restore and he will forgive every time that you have missed it. 
and he makes you clean and he makes you fresh. And, and then from there, Peter wasn't perfect. You won't be perfect from there, but you have to keep coming back and keep loving and keep living from that place of love and don't let sin beat you down. Don't let your mistakes beat you down. Listen, listen, when you buy a new suit, or for me, it's new shoes. Like if I buy new shoes and my kids are around, I have, I like, I, they're at a stiff arm the entire time. Because Isaiah, especially, like he has a magnet. His foot is, has a magnet to my foot. It doesn't matter. We could be like three feet away and his foot just, it will find my foot. So if I have on new shoes, Isaiah is getting a stiff arm or the arm bar. Like I'm keeping him at a distance. I will literally, you may see me out there if I, if I buy new shoes and we're walking and Isaiah, I'm go like this. Like I'm doing the Heisman, right? Why? Because he will step on my new shoes and I don't want my new shoes dirty. And I'm going to do what I got to do to keep my, even if it, traumatizes my kid. Pray for me. <laughs> Pray for me. That's not right. Don't do that. Do as I say, not as I do. I don't know. But, but no, that's not good. But, but, but they're my new shoes. And you know, if he scuffs them, I don't know how to clean them. So I just got to buy another pair. And that's not cool. So I'm going to protect them and I'm going to do what I can to keep them clean. Jesus has made you clean. You need to recognize that and do what you need to do apart from stiff-arming your kids. Unless your kids are grown, you may need to stiff-arm them. You may need to kick them. You may, no, no, no. But you may need to keep them at a distance. To live out of a place of love so that you can live fresh and clean. Well, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there's a couple things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can also invest in helping us empower others to follow Jesus by texting any dollar amount to 512-520-0185. Thanks again for joining us today on the Faith for Life podcast.